0: Let's face it, whether you're hiring or trying to find work today, the process has become tougher than ever. Between ghost listings, AI-powered applicant tracking systems, chat GPT-written cover letters, wild employment scams, how do you know if your resume, your application, or your job posting is even being seen by an actual human? That's why we've relaunched our job board to help you find your next opportunity. And if you're a company that's hiring right now, we'll feature your listing on our job board for 30 days and help spread the word about it to our audience of listeners for just $99. Get started with us and expand your job search or your recruiting efforts today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs.
1: You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast. A weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Revision Path is supported by Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They are always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is supported by the School of Visual Arts, BFA Design, and BFA Advertising programs. SVA values originality and critical thinking while providing students an immersive learning experience with their faculty of industry experts. The BFA Design program empowers students with the tools and opportunities to shape the future of design. And the BFA Advertising program equips students with the skills in media and new tech needed to excel in the advertising industry learn more at sva.edu, and enroll today to join one of the most influential artistic communities in the world. For 10 years, Revision Path has been dedicated to showcasing Black designers and creatives from all over the world. But as you may have heard recently, these might be the final episodes of Revision Path. So in order to keep bringing you the content that you love, we need your support now more than ever. If you have the means and you're in a position to help us grow, here's how you can contribute. Visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and click the donate button there to make a one-time, monthly, or annual donation that will help keep Revision Path running strong. Thanks for your support. We have a new review here from Apple Podcasts. Uh, This is from Annette Elizabeth, and it's called Years Long Fan. I love that. (laughs) Let's uh, hear the review. I always look forward to starting my week off with an episode of Revision Path. Hearing the experiences and insights of Black creatives from all different industries, career stages, and backgrounds has been a source of inspiration and learning over the years. I mainly use Spotify, but had to get on Apple Podcasts to shout out Maurice and his dedication to highlighting so many Black creatives slash digital professionals and making sure our work and stories are shared, documented, and celebrated. Annette... Thank you so, 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 so much for that lovely, lovely review. Really means a lot, especially during this time. It means a lot to hear from you. It means a lot to hear from all of you that are listening to the show. So thank you so much for that review. Now for this week's interview, I'm talking with TJ Hughes. TJ is a technical artist and the creative lead at Terrifying Jellyfish, who recently released Noor, Play With Your Food a video game that's currently out on PlayStation, Steam, and the Epic Game Store. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do.
1: Hi, I'm TJ Hughes, and I am the creative lead on Noor Play With Your Food, which recently launched on uh, PlayStation 5, PC, a few other platforms as well. Yeah, I just make 3D art and shaders and just colorful stuff on the computer. That's it.
0: <laughs> nice. And I definitely want to talk about the game. We'll get into that in a minute. But I mean, first of all, congratulations on the launch of the game. I know that the game dev process Thanks is it. arduous. It is often not linear. So congratulations yes. on publishing.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a crazy and very long journey. It's wild to see it just finish. Yeah, it's hard to like process and wrap my head around and also like figure out next steps.
0: What's the reception been like so far? Mixed,
1: which I fully expected, honestly. It's a weird game. It's a weird (laughs) game and it's a weird format for consoles, but I'm still confident in it because it works so well at events and stuff. Like, I've seen many, many people enjoying the game. I've seen when I was at PAX last, this last month, it was super well received. Like, um, folks were really enjoying it and like, like commenting on it. There was like a sort of a crowd around it at the time, at one point. The panic booth was really cool and really like fun to be at. Spaces like that, it really works. But the whole time I was making the game, I kind of feared like, oh, once it's an at-home experience that people can run on their consoles, like folks might not get it or they might not see the appeal, or they might have a just like a different experience with it, yeah, that kind of turned out to be the case we We tried to do as much as we can, could design wise to sort of curve that, but yeah, it still kind of came across as just like, oh, like what is going on?" but then again, there were other folks like there were streamers that that played it on stream to a discord call or like while having the chat open, and they had a good time with it, and so it's weird, it's a kind of game where like I feel like. In a crowd of folks, it's a really fun experience. It was an experiment for sure. It got received like an experiment kind of would.
0: Well, I feel like all games are kind of like that, right? Like you hope that the story and the the gameplay and everything that you've envisioned as a developer and as part of the creative team, you hope that that's going to be received on the other end by the player. You know, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not.
1: Yeah, it, it's such a exercise in communication I was just like, how well do the concepts in this game communicate? Does it resonate with people? Like, do they enjoy it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so yeah, it's an interesting thing because uh, games are just such a such a weird medium in that like, uh, yeah, just two people's experience can be so different just because of how many like how much is possible in games. Like, there's just infinite permutations of your setup or like what you can do in the game, and so yeah, it's it's just really interesting to see that. See folks, kind of like rate that experience because one person will have the best time ever, and then another person is just like, "What's
0: going on?" (laughs) Yeah, that's the way for a a lot of games. I think. I mean, I watch streamers kind of play, you know, modern games versus retro games and things like that. And it's funny how even I think the language in which people talk about games has changed a lot. Like, I mean, I'm in my 40s, I. I'm a first-generation gamer. I guess that's kind of a good way to put it. And the way that we talked about video games, like, when I was a teenager in my 20s, is, like, totally different than how people talk about it now. People are obsessed about, you know, frame rates and DPS and, you know, like, they're spitting out all these terms and stuff. And it's like, how about you just get immersed in the game and not try to, like, technically pick it apart?
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of focus these days on like bugs too and like how finished the game feels yeah. and all that, which like I understand to an extent. It, folks are looking out for like their value and making sure that folks aren't trying to like penny pinch and whatever. But yeah, I feel like that has kind of gone overboard and led to folks like really technically picking apart a game where like that's not what it originally ever was about.
0: Yeah, I just finished playing and beating two other Kickstarter-backed games. They're both RPGs. One is called Chain Echoes, and the other oh. one is called Sea of Stars. And maybe this is my fault. I went on Reddit to kind of see what the discourse was, which <laughs> I went on Reddit. But <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it's so amazing, like the spectrum of how some people love the game or how some people are picking little things apart. And some people love the music. Some people hate the music. Why is the plot like this? Why are the characters like that? It's like just play the game if you don't like it don't play it just put it down play something that you like maybe i'm looking at it too simplistically i don't know
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i feel that sometimes where it feels like the energy spent hating on certain games could be redirected to games that that person actually enjoys yeah yeah i don't really know what that's about i I think it kind of satisfies a lot of folks to kind of just like i don't know (laughs) just like heavily criticize Stuff like that. But Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's something unique to the game space or not. But yeah, it, it like surprises me too when it's like an indie game that's being picked apart. Where it's just like, hey, a dude made this <laughs> like in mm-hmm. his free time. Maybe not fair to like compare it to the game that's made by a team of hundreds of people.
0: Yeah, like indie developer versus like AAA studio. Of course, there's, there's going to be a big disconnect in a lot of things just because of that, because of resources.
1: Yeah. Just the medium of like Reddit and Twitter kind of connects folks directly with the with the developer, which can be a double edged sword. I've I've received a lot of support and a little bit of a little bit of hate as mm. well. So that's been that's been interesting.
0: Yeah, I think that's like a media thing in general. Whether you're a developer, if you're a musician, if you have a television show, a movie, a podcast. I mean, in the early days when I did this, I would get so much hate on Twitter. And it's like, if the show is not for you, then don't listen. People would call me a racist because I only have black guests. And I'm like, what's racist oh. about that? It's, Yo. it's, it's the focus of the show. Like, did you not know yeah. that's what the show was about? It's crazy.
1: Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, it's, like, <laughs> it's not like you weren't warned.
0: Right. I mean, and also we're not trashing anyone. Like. I could understand that maybe it was like a hate-filled kind of show or something like that, but that's not the case. People find fault in what they want to find fault in, I find. And the internet, and social media really particularly, I don't want to put this all on just the internet, but social media tends to just exacerbate that because it's given people the illusion that their voice matters. Well, let me walk that back. It doesn't necessarily (laughs) give them the illusion that their voice matters. It gives them the illusion that it's sort of like the customer is always right, oh yeah it's yeah, not that's it's not always the case i don't know who came up with that but that's not always the case like just because you feel a way about it and you express it doesn't it make it like law or anything you know
1: yeah yeah exactly I, that's exactly how i'd put it yeah
0: it's a delicate thing i mean a lot of people a lot of creatives i know have sort of even walked back from social media because of that it's like yeah it can be a great thing for telling people about your work but then the the feedback you get can be just so caustic
1: yeah I've experienced that and also just know folks who have experienced that like firsthand. And so I like, I completely understand it. It's not for everyone. Like you, you do have to develop a thick skin about it. Just like kind of learn how to not react to certain things.
0: Mm -hmm. We'll get more into the game, but now that it's out, do you have anything else that you want to try to accomplish before the year ends? Like I'm pretty sure a lot of this year might've been just all leading up to this launch date.
1: Yeah, pretty much all of this year and I've been working on this full time. And like that, first of all, is just really cool that I've been able to work on a passion project for this long. Cause like not everyone gets that opportunity. Just like sit down and just like make what they want to make all day. And so like that's something about this project that I've been super grateful about. It was able to be funded long enough to for me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um it's been awesome. But but yeah, the, this entire yeah, this year has been just leading up to just the relaunch of Noor. And yeah, now that it's out, I kind of told myself I was going to rest for a while. And so that's what I'm in the middle of like kind of trying to do is uh, just like kind of take it easy. And like, of course, we're updating the game, like fixing bugs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But just in between that, I'm trying to just relax, take it easy as much as I can. Also kind of let the next steps kind of naturally come to me. Mm-hmm. Um because, like, this project started out of just me messing around, having fun with, with a different kind of art medium. I think my best work kind of comes out that way. So I just want to kind of make sure I nurture that a bit.
0: Well, you earned a break. <laughs> you definitely have earned <laughs> a break. So if you get a chance to to take some just R&R, like, please do that. Because you, you definitely have earned it.
1: I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's hard uh, in game dev to just tell yourself to, like, take a break because it's just like, oh, wait, but I, there's so much I could be doing could be updating the game could be pushing out this and that. It's easy to just kind of let it run your life. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to get away from that. Yeah. Uh, that habit.
0: <laughs> well, let's go more into the game. Like we mentioned, it just launched in September. We'll put a link to the game website as well as the trailer in the notes. I've played the game. I have it on PS5. I love that it starts off with your face. So people know it's from you. It's from a black person. I love that. I love that when you started up, you've got that little, it's like a 3D model of you with the terrifying jellyfish. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: It and is, uh, yeah. It's photogrammetry. Yeah. And so
0: so much of the game reminds me of like Katamari Damacy from uh, Keita Takahashi. It's kind of this unfettered play. There's some ambiguity to it. You kind of just have to figure it out as you go along. I mean, granted, the subtitle of the game is Play With Your Food. So that's the premise. You play with your food and you have a number of different sort of food-related scenarios that you can work through. What was the idea behind that? Like, what was the idea behind the game in general?
1: The game didn't start off as a game idea, necessarily. It's kind of interesting how it came about. It was a very just like nonlinear path towards uh, making a game. Mm Mm-hmm. So Noor kind of started out as an art test. I was basically figuring out how to make shaders for the first time ever and just like practicing being a tech artist. And I needed a subject for like testing out this, uh, these like new art techniques and whatever. I looked at food immediately because I just recently had started branching out as far as food goes. Like I was traveling. I went to my first GDC. I had discovered bubble tea. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, this stuff is great. Like, I love this. And yeah, it was just the perfect subject because it was colorful. It was playful. It had all these like different elements that had a kind of physical component to it. I was just like, oh, I can make this in 3D, like using 3D models. And in doing that, part of my inspiration was also anime food and how lovingly food is rendered in, in 2D by animators and how like, say, with ghibli movies like how the food looks so good you Mm want to like eat it like you just want to eat it it makes you hungry and so yeah i I was just hoping that video games as a medium could give the same kind of love to to food because food is usually a background prop in, in video games it's usually this like low poly thing that an artist spends like maybe like a little bit of time on it's not the focus i always thought that was really interesting and also shout out to the um the low poly grapes in final fantasy 14 i believe it is <laughs> uh, but yeah just to the point of them even becoming a meme is just like background food low poly background food in video games and so i i just kind of wanted to do the opposite i wanted to be like okay what if it was just like high fidelity super detailed foreground food where it's just like everything's like way too many polygons and just like hd and so yeah that, that's kind of how it started was um me just making 3D models with different like effects on them, like w- different like shaders and stuff and as detailed as possible. And then just like um taking a screenshot and putting it on Twitter and folks were super into it. Like um the response was immediately just like, Oh man, that makes me hungry. That like, that looks so good. Wow. That's great. Like, yeah, just super positive responses about it. And eventually I got to a point where um some local friends of mine wanted to show they wanted to show the art at an event at an event about just like interactive art just like anything that's like art plus tech and i was like okay it's not interactive so it probably wouldn't work at this exhibit but or like not exhibit but like event but i'll see what i can do and so i i just hooked it up to some controls pressing a button on a keyboard just like makes a food appear um and fall down from the top of the screen and that's it that's all it started out as the response was great like folks were super into it they're having a lot of fun with it that was kind of my moment where i was just like oh like this is something like i'm I'm onto something and like my background was already making video games but um i kind of didn't expect this to really be a game i was just like making stuff because it was pretty and just putting it out there the game itself kind of evolved from folks like sharing feedback just being like oh, it would be cool if this food was in it. Or like, oh, what if this button did this? This button made the food fly up. Or like, hey, you should add a meat grinder or whatever. You know, Mm -hmm. just like different things folks would say about the game. Um, And then I would just be like, oh, that's great. And I would kind of like add it and then see how folks reacted at the next event. I was doing a lot of events. And so it was this like kind of back and forth of just like I could directly talk to the folks who were who were playing the game and get immediate feedback about what folks really wanted in it. And so yeah, it was just like a really fun process and yeah, just like a weird way to make a game. Cause I, I didn't really start off with a premise or like a concept. I just started just making it from scratch, like no game design document or anything. Mm-hmm. Like I just like just directly from my brain into the game engine.
0: So there wasn't really like a story that you were trying to tell. It was just, experience you wanted people to have it sounds like
1: yeah yeah i had some visuals that i really wanted to to make and that i just wanted i just wanted folks to kind of appreciate that without having or without really needing a ton of context Mm -hmm. like yeah there wasn't really much setup or anything like that i was just kind of like hey this is a really pretty food look at what games can kind of be and look like you you can use this medium to do a lot of like crazy stuff what if we just appreciated the visuals and textures of food so yeah it was just like a art exercise that was just like really heavy on the visuals that was really what i wanted to accomplish was just getting folks to kind of like appreciate that side of things
0: now is there like an optimal way that you like suggest people play the game because like I played it on PS5 and, and I'll admit that it felt like the controller was holding me back. Like, I mean, I think there's certainly, you know, parts where, you know, like if you, I think pull a trigger, like a magnet will happen. Or if you press a button, you know, it can change the color of the food or can change the rate at which the food drops or something like that. And it almost felt like, I don't know if a controller is the right way to play this. And then I've seen videos of you playing it and you're you're playing on like this almost like 16 button like midi controller almost so I'm curious if there's like an optimal way that you think people should play the game
1: The original version of the game played with a midi controller the first first version was just like a keyboard but then uh after that I, start, I started getting into like midi controllers and just like music production and stuff like that and I hooked up a midi controller to the game just for the fun of it And it's the MIDI fighter, which is this board of 16 buttons. And they're like arcade, arcade like fight stick buttons. Mm -hmm. So it was trying to be like kind of a reference to fight, like fighting games, but repurposed for music production. But then I'm kind of like taking it back into video games, which is is sort of funny. That was originally how um, I presented it at museums and stuff. I would just bring out this controller. And yeah, it was a really good way to play because like it was just the satisfying nature of pressing button and then seeing a really like high quality visual appear or like being able to interact with it in some way it was a really satisfying thing the initial release we don't have midi support in the like current version of the game but it's something that we've been meaning to put back in because like trying to support consoles and stuff i couldn't really have it the midi like tech back end in there but we, yeah we're trying to put it back in it, it kind of just like got broken along the way of like making the game yeah that's something that we're trying to get back to the roots of it's just like okay this game's been shown at a few exhibits with this controller it would be great if folks could just plug in kind of any controller of that sort and just like play the game and see just see what happens
0: yeah i like that that experience though because it sort of reminds me of sort of like early gaming in the 90s where I think developers were experimenting with a bunch of different types of input styles. I mean, of course, you had Nintendo with their standard controller. Sega had the same thing, but then Nintendo eventually also had Rob, the robot, and there were like right. two games that you could use with the robot, and then the Zapper. I think the Zapper came with, when I got my Nintendo in 85, I think, it came with a Zapper, so it was like a combination of, mario brothers duck hunt and so like that's an alternate way that you can play the game and then with super nintendo you've got super scope 6 or whatever and so there were all these sort of like alternate controllers for different games that you could play the games with so i like that this kind of harkened back to that for me because now everything is either xbox playstation switch pc like it's one of those four things and it doesn't really give you a lot of variety onto how you play it just the platform that you play it on.
1: Yeah. And the folks would call all that stuff like gimmicky back in the day. And uh, I always thought it was pretty fun. Like Nintendo would always try to be the ones to use those like really alternative controllers. Yeah. Yeah. I miss it. (laughs) I genuinely miss that kind of stuff.
0: I mean, this game to me, like I said, it really kind of harkens back to that. And I think it opens up creativity for the gamer in a different way. That's not just, I mean, it's pressing buttons, but it's not in like a standard type of controller-esque format. You're It feels like to me, when you mentioned that sort of 16-button thing, that almost kind of feels like a good way to play it, especially because you were playtesting this at Exhibit. So you weren't like playtesting this, you know, in a play lab or something like that. Like you were out in open spaces and mixed spaces with people. So people could really interact with it, you know, any way they wanted to.
1: Yeah. And like, even though we were kind of just like, Uh, put like siloed off to controllers with the console release Mm -hmm. of this we we tried to do as much as we could with it as well so uh with a with a dual sense controller we're just like okay even though it's you're just controlling the game in a really regular way we still want to find like alternative ways to interact with the game so we use the microphone for that And in the game, you can, like, blow into your controller, and that will blow all of your food away. Mm -hmm. Or if you make a slurp sound, that'll, like, suck all the food towards you. And then, like, if you, like, whistle or hum in pitch with a a song that's currently playing in the game, like, all your food will kind of levitate. And so we, yeah, we just wanted to just... Whatever way you're interacting with the game, we wanted to make it to where like you just had options that were just kind of weird, you know? Yeah. To kind of complement the the MIDI controller back in the day, like I was just like, okay, so at least with this controller, there's something special that you can do that you couldn't even do on the MIDI controller.
0: I mean, I could see certainly something like this doing well on like VR, yeah. or even something like I know you mentioned like Nintendo with these different controller things. I mean, like the Switch controllers, you can kind of have each Joy-Con in your hand or something like that. I could see definitely a future of Noor. And I don't, like, maybe I'm putting an idea in your head. I don't know. But I could see a future where you're using that as the inputs as opposed to, like, button presses with some stuff. And that could be another way to unlock, you know, more gameplay for people. More appeal.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. VR is an idea I've had for a, a while. I would still love to do it.
0: Let's talk more about sort of the the team and, and the, the game dev process, because I know that the process can be long. You raise money on this via Kickstarter and you had a team behind you, as well as you also worked with Panic for kind of helping to distribute the game. Talk to me about that.
1: So it's a fairly small team that we're working with. So there's me, there's Joey. He does programming. There's Maximilian. He helps with Initially, music, but now it's kind of just everything that that he helps out with. Just programming, just so much. Um, He's become a huge contribution to the game, as well as James. Also, like on the music, we had like a two-man music team who just kind of became developers over time. We have Mark, who is on sound design and sound effects. So any of the like Foley or just the kind of ASMR sounds that you hear throughout the game, like uh, that's him. And so, yeah, just just like small team of uh, five folks just kind of making this over discord. Basically, I'm kind of like leading the pack on that. It's a really interesting process. Yeah, just like, especially on a a weird game like this, it's kind of a like anything goes type thing where like there's been just weird ideas presented to me where I've just been like, yeah, send it like, let's do it. (laughs) That's how multiple things got into the game, like the jellyfish idea, just like having this character that comes and like steals your food. Like when you say nonlinear, like that describes everything about this game's process, like from the funding to the idea to its actual technical development. Um, yeah, it's just completely nonlinear. But it's been cool, though. It's been a really cool way to kind of make something because uh, it, it truly felt like uh, we're just like kind of playing around, really. And just like any idea that sounds cool, we're just like, yeah, let's do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, we talked about this a little bit before recording. The game development process can be long, especially if you're raising funds through a crowdfunding medium like Kickstarter. There's been video games that I have helped to fund in the past that just took much longer, I think, than the developer originally might have thought of for it to come out. Like we talked about Omori, for example. This was a game by an independent developer, Omocat. They got funding for it through Kickstarter in 2015. And I want to say it didn't start coming out on consoles until like, I know it came out on the Switch in 2020. It might have been out on Steam 2019, but it was years past when they initially said, this is when the game is coming out. And Kickstarter, and you can probably attest to this, Kickstarter is a bit of a double-edged sword. Like, yes, you have people's funding, but the people that fund it can be real assholes when it comes to like, where's my game? Why don't you have it now? You said it would be here by this. I want my money back, blah, blah, blah. Tell me about that. Cause I I feel like the game dev process and then having to answer to backers kind of might've been a source of contention throughout this process.
1: Yeah. It's always tough dealing with folks who just like really want the product. I luckily feel like I found a really nice corner of the internet who backed this game because like folks have been oh well for the most part oh just super super patient with it like it's actually crazy because uh yeah we're we're talking about Amori but I think we took even longer as far as like when the kickstarter started versus when the game actually came out it's such a long process and like through so much of it I felt bad I was just like oh dang like Folks are looking for this and uh, have I've definitely had folks kind of reach out when things were more silent because we're just like really heads down on the game and trying to make it happen. So if folks have been super nice and super patient for the most part, but there are definitely a few standout folks that reached out and just weren't so nice. I definitely had just like a few folks get in the like Twitter mentions and like it, it wouldn't be like a majority by any means. It was it's maybe like five people but like um mm-hmm. you know we kind of as humans remember like negative experiences way more than like positive ones and so like it was just really stand out how uh someone called it the vaporware or something like that oh uh, no I was just like i was just like okay you don't even like have the game yet so that's a that's a early judgment like yeah, yeah like it, just certain folks, uh, someone got really extreme with it. And, uh, but luckily we have what's called the block button. And so <laughs> that is a fantastic tool to curb these, uh, these kinds of responses. But yeah, like, um, I don't know. I'm super grateful to have found, uh, just like a really supportive fan base and like backer base. It's a hard thing because you kind of can't predict how development is going to go. Cause mm-hmm. like straight up, I thought this game would be wrapped up by like 2020 and then 2020 comes around, boom, hit with a pandemic. Right. right. And I was just like, Oh, like, okay. So this is kind of a great time for games in general, but terrible time for mental health of Mm -hmm. tiny teams working on like Mm -hmm. very ambitious projects. (laughs) That was an interesting hurdle that I really, no one was prepared for but Like,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. It's, it's hard to make such a, an ambitious project around such an unpredictable hurdle.
0: Right. You know, for people that are listening, Kickstarter is not a store. If you pledge something and you get your pledge rewards, like, that's great. Sometimes it doesn't work out. I mean, and I'm not going to spend time on it on this podcast, but there are a lot of campaigns that I have helped crowdfund where the money, I'll never see that money again. The developer or the the creator, whomever has just took off with the church's money as they would say like you just you don't you don't know where they're at i think one campaign i did the person it was for it was for tea of all things this guy had a tea company and he was trying to like raise some money for new blends and then he just never sold the tea and then he came he used the money to come out with an lp because he was starting his music career it was so stupid like (laughs) i mean it's you know you have to kind of vet of course you know how this goes like i tend to vet more projects where i can see the people have had like some track record of success but like it's tricky i mean i think whenever you're crowdfunding it can be kind of tricky but just don't just realize there are real people behind this there's real people behind this and that you know if stuff happens stuff happens but like curb it a bit you know like don't don't get all in people's faces about it
1: yeah i think it's very fair to like be like hey would like some communication about this and and all that but when it veers into the realm of like harassment of just you know you, you don't need to like attack their character you don't need to like i don't know you don't, you don't need to like send a death threat man. right like it's not like it was never that serious is there all um, right, it's all
0: it's especially for video games it's a video game like what are you getting that riled up about it's a game
1: yeah like it's a game not a therapy session man right. like <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so it's interesting also wait he made an lp with the money
0: I'm not going to shout out the name of the company, but like they were making tea blends. I had gotten some of their tea before I really, I'm a tea aficionado and like, I really like tea. And so I was like, yeah, I've had some of their tea before. Sure. And I think they raised maybe like $8,000. And then we just never heard from the person again. And you know how on Kickstarter, you can see the person's profile is sometimes connected to a Facebook page or like their Facebook profile. And so basically people in the comments, Had like clicked through and was like, wait a minute, he's making music now. (laughs) Like, wait a minute, what? So we're just never gonna see that T again because now he thinks he's a singer. Like
1: that's well, okay. For a second, I thought they posted their own backer update and was just like actually. Oh no, no, no. They they they
0: never updated or anything, they just went completely radio silent.
1: Oh, okay. And people just kind of put it together. Okay, (laughs) for a second, I I was about to say that is so bold, bro.
0: let's kind of you know switch up a little bit here we've talked about the game and and we've talked about development and stuff let's talk more about you so people know more about just kind of your background and how you got to where you are now you're in St. Louis Missouri now is that where you're from originally?
1: Yes yeah I lived here my entire life for real
0: yeah did you sort of get exposed to a lot of creativity and design and stuff growing up I'm guessing that you you probably have
1: yeah. So my mom is a traditional artist. She does like acrylic and whatever medium nice. uh, she can get her hands on really. And uh and my my dad was a jazz musician. Kind of just naturally got exposed to art super early on because of that. It was interesting cuz no one was really trying to push me in the direction of art. Like it just kind of happened <laughs> just like naturally. And my dad was also really into tech and like would have just like random trinkets and like synthesizers and just like circuit boards just like strewn throughout the house and yeah like i just kind of had this like subconscious interest in tech that i never really like noticed as being weird or different until like later on when i i just kind of said it all at once i was like oh yeah i was kind of exposed to this stuff like from way back in the day
0: no Um, that's that's awesome
1: I grew up just like drawing like comic books and stuff like uh, not to expose my brother and I, but yeah we had like our own like Sonic characters and stuff. and like, that's how we started out. (laughs) We just like draw our own Sonic characters. And that was like that was huge for us. Like we just make these comic books. That was kind of just the early influence. And then I don't know, just as the Internet was a thing, we started playing more video games. I was just like interested in both those things at the same time, and uh, as a kid, I would just always be like, "Oh, I want to be a a game designer when I grow up." I said that without any kind of confidence at all; like it was just kind of like a the kid's dream sort of thing. And like I I remember the moment where uh, I kind of really questioned it, where I was just like, "Oh snap, I'm not good at math. How am I ever gonna make video games? Uh, This is gonna be so difficult." But then fast forward to when I was thirteen. I discovered Unity while, like, procrastinating some homework one day. I was like, oh, what is this? Like, it's an engine that anyone can download? That's crazy. Like, let me go and do that. And, yeah, I just started going through, like, these PDF tutorials on how to make an FPS game. I made this, like, really, like, crappy little first-person shooter project. But I was learning the engine and uh, it was before I was even realizing it. I I was just like, yo, wait, I'm actually like doing this. Like it kind of makes sense. It's just like logic. Yeah, that's why when I kind of realized like, oh, snap, I have a really like self-learning oriented brain because I I wasn't particularly good at school. I wasn't really good at math, but just like figuring things out and like putting things together and like disassembling them. I was just like, wow, like I'm great at this. And so, yeah, it it just kind of really worked for me is just like, teaching myself the video games and how to make them and how to make my own art really yeah that kind of just worked out
0: first of all i have to say that's excellent that you were picking that up so young and that it was available for you and you were in an environment where i'm guessing it didn't sound like your parents at all were trying to like hold you back from doing that
1: yeah that's something I've, i've always realized i'm super lucky about was like They've always pushed me in that, in this kind of direction or just like, um, been supportive once the, when they learned like what I was making. Yeah. They're just like, wow, that's, you know, that's really cool. Like they've always been like, okay with me going into art because they they did it themselves. Mm -hmm. And anytime I would show them something, they'd be like, wow, that's, that's really cool. Yeah like even if like my mom didn't really understand it (laughs) to this day she's like what do you do you do like the computer thingy (laughs) but she's still really supportive um like she set the donut from my game that's her wallpaper on her phone i'm just like okay that's really cute like i feel really (laughs) like honestly supported the only hard part was like when i i decided to not go to college Mm -hmm. uh, for any of this that was something that was very controversial for a lot of the adults in my life they're just like no you need to go to college like you gotta get a degree you have to have a fallback and like you had to get the proper education mm-hmm. blah blah blah. but it was also just like yo like we can't afford that right <laughs> like, student <laughs> loans and all that like i i don't want to do that i want to have debt i just want to make money <laughs> and like also create like cool stuff that was a really hard part of was just like convincing folks that like hey like I know how it looks but like I have a plan. Yeah. I think I can say that it's worked out and that school wasn't exactly necessary for this kind of work, but I know it is helpful for a lot of people to have a curriculum and like go through that path. And so yeah, I'm not knocking it by any means. Just with my set of circumstances, I don't think it would have been the best move.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's I mean that's something that the prior generation I think is always going to try to impress upon the younger generation, not necessarily so much the value of education, because you were teaching yourself. So you were getting your own education. You were learning about this at a young age prior to college. You were creating projects. I mean, a lot of that is honestly stuff that you would do in college anyway, just with a price tag attached to it. But I think specifically for game development, I mean, that's such a different type of field than, say, being a doctor, or an engineer or something like that. I mean, game development, as we know it, is still a very young field, and so the ways that you get into it are not necessarily through a four-year institution.
1: Yeah, another another part of it is that like things change so fast mm-hmm. that like uh, yeah, by the time you get through your curriculum, it's just like boom, like everything's different. There's right. a new tool that everyone uses. Everyone stops using this engine because of the weird p r or whatever. you know it's just mm-hmm. like there's there's so much that can change so rapidly. I think it really lends itself to self teaching because then you can just find all the latest most up to date stuff and uh and yeah, people make tutorials out there. like people make plenty of tutorials nowadays, even when I got started, there was a lot of stuff, but like I can't even imagine having access to the amount of content there is there's out there now. Yeah. Like, I feel like you can kind of make anything
0: nowadays. Yeah. Everything you mentioned is a hundred percent like it was in the days of the early web. I'm talking like maybe 98 to from like 1998 to 2008 was such a huge jump in web development because the browser went from being this tool of presentation to now a tool for development. And so you started having people developing tools in the browser, using the browser, not just as a viewport, but also as like your development environment and everything. And there were no programs back then to really teach web design. Like I went to school and majored in computer science initially because my dumbass was like, oh, if I'm a computer science major, that means I can like be a web designer. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. Everything I learned about web design has been self-taught because back then there were no... There were no courses unless you went to like an art institute or something like that. And even then, as you mentioned, the technology changes so fast that the curriculum is out to date. It's out of date as you're learning it. So yeah. it, it sounds very similar to like the early days of the web, is what you're mentioning with game development. So it seems like you certainly went in the right. I mean, look, you have a video game that's out now on PlayStation, Steam. You're doing something right. So I think the the way that you went certainly is what's worked for you, which is which is all you can ask for, really
1: yeah super grateful it's it's worked out this way so far it was also great just being like oh hey like this is a possible route like Mm -hmm. you know for yeah you don't have to fork over just like a bunch of like debt just to get into this field and make stuff that you care about
0: yeah now you did start your early career at a studio you were at happy badger studio how did you get started there like like where did you how'd you find out about them
1: once again, through Twitter. Uh, weirdly, everything in my career has happened through Twitter, um, both getting <laughs> this game out there, getting hired there. Yeah, it, it was a similar sort of thing. I discovered Unity when I was 13 and like kind of just throughout the rest of high school, I've just been um, just making little experiments and learning. Every now and then I would do a game jam. I would do uh, the, the Ludum Dare 48 hour game jam mm-hmm. like uh, a, a few times. I would just make things to show my friends and I would take screenshots of what I'm making and put it on Twitter. I had a bunch of like projects that were like way too big that I was never going to complete if I'm being completely honest. But, you know, I was just like a kid in like middle and high school. So like I didn't know what I was doing, but it was still like really fun stuff to make. And it was still like really pretty, like the, the different kinds of projects I was making just from those screenshots and the stuff I would show off. This company, uh, the Happy Badger Studio, they saw my work on Twitter and they hit me up. Uh, they're just like, hey, who are you? Want to come by our studio and just like, you know, just hang out? Because like, yeah, we, your stuff is like crazy. And so, yeah, we, we did that. And um, they offered me a, a contractor position and me being like fresh out of high school. um, This was like right like right after I graduated. I was like, this is really cool. Like, you know, this is dream job, like exactly the kind of stuff I want to be doing. Yeah, like, absolutely. And so yeah, I worked with them for a bit and then uh, became a full time employee there after a few years. It was just really fun. I I got to do the exact part of game dev that I wanted to do, which is is technical art. I I really just like the art pipeline, the art side of things. And so yeah, that was just like a really good situation. And there we made uh, Smugglecraft, which is a hovercraft racing game with uh, procedurally generated tracks and like customizable ships. And yeah, it was a super fun project to work on and really got me started with tech art. And uh, I got to really control the art in the game, which was super fun. Like all the colors and particle effects, like that was all my domain. And so, yeah, that, that was just like super fun and like a a really good experience I feel like that was honestly my college course
0: I'd say it was that was your your college course your first real job I mean that kind of work right out of high school I mean that's the dream that's the dream like if you've been doing it especially as a kid and you're able to go right into working I mean that's the best kind of education especially like as you said you learn by doing so that's perfect that's perfect for you
1: yeah, it, it was a really good situation. That's actually where I met Joey, who's on my team as well. And he taught me so much of what I know about programming because we would just have sessions of like C sharp just sitting down. And like, he just tells me that he, he's a wizard programmer. Like, he, he knows so much. I know just enough to get by and like actually like make a game. But like, he's who I go to when I'm just like, okay, I need to do this very specific thing. How? Yeah. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. <laughs> So what's in the future for terrifying jellyfish? I mean, you know, we've talked about the game coming out. We've talked about sort of how you've gotten here and everything. And now that the game is out and it's getting that reception and you're in this sort of rest period, I should say, what do you want to do in the future? What's next? I've been thinking about this. It's hard
1: to say. I don't really know. I definitely have ideas for projects, but like I definitely need to take some time to think about how I would make them happen, like what the ideal setup is, like whether I'd have a publisher. uh, Yeah, just what the setup would be. But I definitely right now I'm focusing on just like kind of resting up and just like taking a break and letting what happens next come naturally. Mm -hmm. Like I I don't really want to force a project. I want to make something that like folks are actually like genuinely interested in. I think I'll do a lot of what I did for Noor. I think I'm gonna just like kind of mess around a bit for fun, like uh, and you know try to fund that as much as possible. But just like yeah, just mess around with a, a few different like art projects, put it out there, show folks, see what they like the most, and then just like see it evolve from there. Like I think that's kind of my formula now is not just taking bets on what i as my ego like thinking is the best idea possible i want to like you know actually get feedback in real time of just like oh folks other than me actually like this i'm gonna pursue this idea now i think that's kind of gonna be my approach so yeah my my plan is to like just mess around a bit throw a bunch of stuff at the wall like see what sticks basically
0: that's a good strategy i like that i like that i mean it's it's certainly different from what you would see maybe like a bigger studio might do where they might make and I don't necessarily mean a game studio but like say a television studio might make a bunch of pilots Mm -hmm. and then they will do testing on them and then they'll sort of go and see okay this is the first one where instead maybe they could put all the pilots out on YouTube and let people sort of see which one they respond to instead of going with what the studio might think so I think that's a good tactic I like that
1: yeah thanks also, like something I've been talking about, because I want to I want to put the seed out there, like just I feel like if I talk about it, that's like a easier chance of like kind of manifesting it. I want to do more museum games because uh, Norse started out as a museum game, just being installed somewhere with a controller and then folks can walk up and interact with it at an event or something like that. I really love that format of game. I kind of feel like I can do whatever I want. Like, I don't have to worry about like the tech of it all. You know, I don't have to worry about like performance and optimization. I'm just like, okay, it runs on the computer and it's interesting and it's like wacky and like attention grabbing. And like, that's all I had to worry about. Like, I love making stuff like that. And so, uh, yeah. And, and also like, I got to travel to a lot of really cool places with this project as well. Like, I got to go to South Korea, a- Amsterdam, like South Africa, just like bringing this game to different like exhibits and stuff. And so, yeah, I, I would just love to do more of that. Like, I don't know how much of that it's going on like post pandemic, but yeah, any events like that, like I would love to be a part of again. And like, they would just kind of find me as well. Like, I have no idea how like these opportunities were kind of come to me, but definitely want to do more stuff like that.
0: I think that's, that's awesome. I mean, I can certainly see this kind of thing being done, like in design museums like Atlanta has a, a museum of design Atlanta I think they just had a gaming exhibit earlier this year where they I think it was called pixels and something I don't I don't recall it but I could think like design museums that would work conferences could work there is a conference and it, it doesn't go on anymore maybe it will in the future but there's this conference in Portland called exo exo
1: yeah, yeah. Nor was actually there one year. I think it was like 2018
0: or 2019. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I was there in 2018. My team was there in 2019, the startup I was working at at the time. We did an event in 2018. We did like this art and code event, but they had like this game expo. That's where I played like naw and like a couple of yeah. other games. I assume they probably had it the next year. So if it was 2019, I wasn't there, but members of my on my team were there. That's cool. I, I could see it like being done in something like that, where people can really interact with it in a open space, you know?
1: Yeah, it, it was a really cool setting for it because like the the screen that they got, or I guess it was a projector. It was gigantic. Like, like they really knew how to present the game. And so I, I thought that was great seeing like just this HD food up on this big giant screen. And so, yeah, just more things like that. Like, uh, I just loved how just wacky and, like, just different that the convention was. Yeah. But yeah, I just hope more things like that exist, like, post-pandemic.
0: So, for people that are, are hearing your story, they're listening to you, how you came up in terms of learning about game dev, and, and now you have your own game out there, what would you recommend to them if they're looking to create their own game? Like, what kind of advice would you give them?
1: I would say just, like, use what resources you have and then go for it like uh, it's completely OK to just Google everything. That's basically what I did. I just Googled my way into a career like I have no formal education about any of this. And so um, use your confidence and like ask people as well, like ask people who've done it before. There are so many folks that are more than willing to share like expertise. Mentorship is kind of how I really got through all, most of this, like um, just folks from uh, Happy Badger Studio, just like being like, oh, here's how you do this. Here's how you start an LLC and like get your business organized. So you, you want to start your own bank account as well. Like that's separate from your personal funds. There's just like a lot of little pieces of knowledge that aren't actually like hard to execute. But once you know them, it, it just sets you up. Yeah, I don't know. Just like tax organization like just don't ignore that stuff like taxes this is if you're making it commercially like if you're actually trying to make money from it i would say the biggest thing is start small and like ramp up incrementally think of it i guess like working out sort of thing you don't go right to 300 pounds on your first like deadlift or whatever you want to work your way up there because you don't want to like tear a muscle. You don't want to burn out. You want to do what you're capable of. That was something that I really had to just learn. Like it had to just be nailed in me because yeah, starting out, I wanted to make the biggest like FPS project ever. I wanted it to be multiplayer and have, I don't know, like be an MMO at the same time. Just a ton of players on the same server. Zombies everywhere. Like, you know, it was just like I I was in way over my head. I was never going to, do that but still fun this like start out and like mess around with mm-hmm. then i scaled it back and uh, my my first game fiche that's when i made that i made that during a loomdary game jam like in 48 hours that was like the tiniest possible like little arcade game i released it on steam for like 99 cents and um with no marketing like folks bought it that was a great experience and so like i i think there's really is something to keeping it simple scaling it back and like uh, cutting things like if you if you have an idea for a feature just imagine the game without it you know (laughs) like i can't stress that like you can never cut too much from a game just actually done is so much better than having it be perfect
0: nice well just to kind of wrap things up here where can our audience find out more information about you about your work about you know Noor, about the game where can they find that information online
1: TerrifyingJellyfish.com is the main spot, but social media wise, Instagram is the most active terrifying jellyfish on there. I post anything I'm working on to there. I'm on Twitter X or whatever the heck you want to call it uh, (laughs) at terrifying or jelly occult or at underscore TJ five online, everywhere food.game. If you just want to look up nor and buy that game. Yeah, everything's linked. So if you just look up terrifying jellyfish, you'll kind of find everything.
0: All right. Sounds good. TJ Hughes. I want to thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Thank you one for just being, I mean, such a creative force. I mean, I feel like I've learned a lot just from hearing your story and hearing you talk about game development and your process. I think what you embody is, is kind of the core thing that I try to put forth with revision path is to let people know that there's more than one way to get to what your definition of success is. And I love that for you, you're really creating what you want to see in the world It's coming from like this really pure place. And I'm really going to be excited to see what you do in the future. But yeah, definitely take your rest now. But in the future, I'm going to be so excited to see what you accomplish. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on here. Yeah, it's been really fun talking about games and the whole
0: process. Big, big thanks to TJ Hughes, and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about TJ and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is supported by Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They are always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is supported by the School of Visual Arts, BFA Design, and BFA Advertising programs. SVA values originality and critical thinking while providing students an immersive learning experience with their faculty of industry experts. The BFA Design program empowers students with the tools and opportunities to shape the future of design, and the BFA Advertising program equips students with the skills in media and new tech needed to excel in the advertising industry. Learn more at sva.edu and enroll today to join one of the most influential artistic communities in the world. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio located in Atlanta, Georgia. Our executive producer is Maurice Cherry, and our editor and audio engineer is RJ Basilio. Intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, please let us know. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Just search for Revision Path. Just all one word, Revision Path. You could follow us on Spotify. You could follow us on Amazon Music. You could leave us a rating and a review like Annette did on Apple Podcasts. Or leave us a voicemail message. We have a voicemail line. You can call us 626-603-0310.